You'll recall that in the, the last conference, we were talking about how important it is to, from the very beginning, to be working to form your child so that he can preserve and have this virtue of purity, which is so important to him and such a critical part of being close to God. We talked about arming him for, for the combat that certainly the, the battle for purity will entail by, by a certain austerity right, of life, a certain discipline that will train him to dominate the demands of his body, to be able to say no to himself, to the demands of the body. We talked about inspiring him with a love for the virtue, by helping him to see the beauty of the virtue, by helping, by appealing to his natural pride and his natural nobility spirit that's there. And we talked about the necessity of fortifying his spiritual life because no one is going to, to fight this battle or any battle spiritually without the help of Almighty God. So we talked about prayer and the sacraments and how really important they are. All of that is part of forming the child. But it's not enough to form the child. You also have to inform the child. He has to be taught. The facts of life, as the saying goes. He has to be taught. He has to be given specific instruction that will give him the knowledge that he needs to preserve the virtue. He's got to have the strength of character. That's formation. He's got to have the knowledge. It's education. It's your duty as parents now to make, to give this instruction. Of course, the first goal of marriage is generation and education of children. And that's education on every level. Physical, academic, of course, like the provider of the school. Hygienic, sexual. And it makes sense that it's you that has to give that instruction. You're the one that's fitted to give that instruction. It's not the priest, it's not the teacher in the classroom that is best fitted. Sometimes we end up doing it by necessity. As circumstances push us into a situation where we become clear, there's got to be, there's got to happen here. But it's, it's not the, our proper role, it's, it's yours. Because you know your child better than anybody else. And you're closer to your child than anybody else is. So you're better fitted to deal with a matter which is intimate of his very nature. And you understand the impressionability of your child. His probable emotional reaction to certain things, his imagination. You understand, you know him better than anybody else. So you're better fitted and it's your there are errors that we can fall into, of course, here, on either side, as always. We can go to the, to the right, or we can go to the left. Neither one is good. You go off the right side of the road, it's no better than going off the left side of the road. <coughs> if we go off the one side, it would be too much information, too soon. And that's what we have, basically, with the whole catastrophe of the modern sex ed program in the school. 
aside other incredible drawbacks. Too much, too soon. The kids are forced to deal with something they're not emotionally, intellectually, or morally stable enough to handle. And it causes, of course, a premature awakening, or can easily cause a premature awakening of the sexual instinct, which is very damaging to They've got to deal with things they're not ready to deal with. Because of that, they can fall into things that can harm them for a long time. Of course, at the same time as we see it, we see it with the little kids. They don't have that carefree innocence. Speaking in general in our world today, they just don't have it. The charm of childhood has been taken from them, where they can just be kids. When we do the girls' camp, our first step. And working with the girls, and these are older girls, is to let them be kids. You don't have to worry about being grown up. You don't have to worry about what people are thinking. Just be carefree for a little bit. Just relax. If we can get them to relax and just be kids, then the innocence of heart is there to help them. Well, that's taken from them. Little kids are, are pushed into who's your boyfriend, who's your girl. I knew a 13-year-old boy whose dad was constantly asking, who's your girlfriend? What, aren't you normal? Well, I'll tell you what, he didn't turn out normal. In the end, this is probably 20 now. So the too much too soon leads to a loss of that, that carefree aspect of childhood. It leads to an unhealthy curiosity. It can lead to imaginings, especially given the, the graphic nature of the, the modern system. Right? It's, it's very damaging to the child, of course. On the other hand, you can also give too little information to it. Many parents, and here's where probably you would tend to fall if you're going to go to one side or the other, like to fulfill their duty in this regard. It's a difficult subject, delicate subject, there might be a certain embarrassment, there might be a desire to keep the child innocent. There might be a fear, how do I talk about this? What do I need to say? When should I say it? How do I say it? There's a fear. But you, you've got to understand as parents that it's, it's a grave error. To pretend the, the problem isn't there, the issue isn't there, and just hope it'll go away. It's a grave error. And the consequences are grave. And sooner or later, Every child, sooner than you think, 
sooner or later, every child becomes curious about these things. They see, I mean, they notice everything. And they see right off the bat, you know, little Johnny, who's three, and little Maria, who's one, they're not the same. There's a difference. And they're going to ask. It's normal. And if it, the response will get to, to the importance of it and how you respond, the way you respond is very important. It's very important. If, if you don't give the enlightenment that's desired and needed, you'll search for it elsewhere. And of course, for a certain, for a while, you might not find the answer at all, so he's just going to have some very strange notions about what everything's about. But eventually it's going to get to the point where there are, there are resources. It might be, you know, his friend Johnny, who's eight, like he's eight, and he asks some questions. Right? It might be going to the library, when he's at the library, and, and looking around for something when he gets a little bit older, and looking for answers. But the problem is, see, now he's going somewhere where he's not likely to get the right answers. Or he's likely to get a distorted picture. Even if it's, okay, his friend Johnny, who's innocent, like he's innocent, still, where, what kind of an answer is he getting from it? Another error that can, of course, we've got these two sides, right? Too little, too late, or too much, too soon. Another error that can sometimes be made is too natural. Obviously, human sexuality is a natural thing, but it's not only natural. God is involved. Man is not an animal. What a child might see at a zoo or on the farm is taught what God intends between a man and a woman. Because between a man and a woman, God plays a part. If there's going to be a child, God is working with mom and dad. And that changes absolutely everything. And so to, to deal with simply the physical aspect of things is a huge mistake. Because there's a lot more than just the physical involved. When we say too natural, another example of that is to forget the fallen nature of man. Some parents are too uptight. And other parents are too casual. And they don't show respect and the gravity that they have to show. If the child is going to understand that this is not something you chatter with your friends about. It's not an ordinary topic. How do you do it? When? When should instructions regarding human sexuality, when do they begin? You might be surprised at the answer. It's at the same time that everything else begins as a parent, when the child is born. Because from the first moment, you're already presenting something. You're training your child. You're instilling in your child a worldview simply by the way you live your life. And as your child gets to two, three, four years of age, 
your Catholic view of man, woman, marriage is being instilled in him. He's picking up on it without you ever saying a word. Of course, if you're going to instill a Catholic worldview with regard to sexuality, you have to have the Catholic worldview. And our world does everything possible to destroy that. The Catholic view is that, that sex is something which is good because God created it. It's something which is sacred because God is involved. It's something which is to be respected and never used ignobly or selfishly. And you can profit as a parent from many, many things to instill this understanding in your children. It's not a question of, okay, I've got to, I'm responsible for the sex education of my kids. Oh my gosh, she's 12. All right, let's get ready for the talk. No. There, are, there are so many things that come up in everyday life that you can talk about that instill the proper respect or sexuality. Somebody gets married. Somebody has a baby. Somebody gets divorced. There's a scandal that goes around. You read a saint's story, and they talk about the saint's purity. I remember as a child saying, Were you ready? That story struck me, and I had no idea what was going on. It's an opportunity to talk, a play or a movie. Sometimes on purpose, in La Mancha. It's a great opportunity for discussion. Not about how sex works, but about men, about women, about how they're to treat one another, about the ugliness when they mistreat one another, when they use one another. All kinds of Catholic things that can be discussed as a consequence of a play. Sometimes it's accidental. You think it's a good play, you think it's a good movie, and boom. And now you respond to it. And so you talk. I noticed that you were a little uncomfortable at that one point. What did you what did you think of the way he was acting? Well, why why did you think that? Yeah, you're right. So you can, you start to, you're instilling the Catholic worldview in your child. Of course, there's conversations that come up like that. You take advantage of those opportunities. There's also handling of questions. Extremely important. And a little bit intimidating, but it shouldn't be. There's a very good book that I would, if you haven't read it, Mothers Especially. It's in the bookstore at the church. It's a reprint of, of Mary Reed Newland's book, um, Raising Your Children. It's now called Raising Good Catholic Children. A beautiful book. Just absolutely beautiful. 
and particularly on this topic. She has a chapter in there on sex education. She's so natural about it, so relaxed, and at the same time so reverent. It is absolutely beautiful. And it's exactly what you want to be as a mother or a father when you're dealing with this topic with your kids. When a child asks a question, sometimes the, the immediate reaction is, is embarrassment. And you don't want it to be. Because from a child's perspective, there's no reason to be embarrassed. He's asking an honest question that deserves an honest answer. It's natural for him to, to wonder, to want to know. And it's natural for you to be the one to tell him. And so you, you want to... I guess I really don't like the term, but you want to be relaxed about the answer, or the way you answer. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes the questions are difficult. But don't read more into it than, than you have to. Take the question at face thought and answer the question that's asked. I was um, preparing this conference. I was talking to an elderly friend of mine, and she was giving some stories, some of which I, I don't know that I'll use, but some of which are, are pretty funny. And she said that when uh, when she had her, her kids, at a given point, the, the child asked, Mommy, where do I come from? And immediately she goes, here we go. Take a deep breath, sit down, very serious, all right, and so she starts explaining certain things, and she's going about this and that, and, and finally, <laughs> her, I think it was a little boy, he said, um, that's funny, Michael comes from Illinois. <laughs> 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 he wasn't asking at all what she thought he was asking. It had nothing to do with it. All right, and she was just like, oh. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> sometimes, it's, sometimes the questions are difficult. I was talking to a teacher who took the kids to the zoo. Animals are animals. They operate on instinct. Miss so-and-so, what are they doing? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the answer is pretty simple, really. They're doing what animals do when God wants them to have babies. Animals are not humans. They're doing what animals do when, when God wants them to have babies, when they're going to have babies. If you can answer in a natural way, the child will go, oh. Some children might ask more questions. But you want to, you want to be as relaxed as possible about the answer. Remember the way that you respond, of course, some of you, you know, older children basically been through this many times, some of you know, little kids and you're heading into it, 
basically. Right? Maybe you're already, you're already dealing with it. The way you respond to their questions is going to have a lot to do with whether they're going to ask you any more questions. And it's very important that you're the ones that ask questions. The way you respond is, don't talk about that. The way you respond is in such a way that you, you give them the impression that what they've asked about is something bad. That's going to leave an impression as well. That's going to last with them. They might simply come up with the the conclusion that that's not something I talked to mom or dad about, but it's something to be looked into. You don't want to answer with an air of mystery. Children love mysteries. They need to be solved. You want to be as natural as possible. Frank, matter of fact, but great respect. Always honest. There are a lot of stories that float around there about where babies come from. There's the stork, there's the cabbage patch, there's all kinds of things. But realize they're very damaging. If the child takes them seriously, he's going to reflect on it. And it doesn't make sense. So something that doesn't make sense has to be figured out. The last thing you want to do is provoke the child's curiosity. And the last thing you want to do is to teach them that when he comes to you with a serious question, he's not going to get a serious answer. You should never lie to your kids. It's, it's, it's kind of an aside, but it's just the reason I'm against the whole Santa Claus thing. Kids take it very seriously. It means a lot to them. And then it crashes. And mom and dad were not telling the truth. What if mom and dad aren't telling the truth about other things that matter? It cracks your credibility. And the same thing here. Historic and so on. It, it cracks your credibility. Now they're going to wonder if mom and dad can be trusted once they figure out that it wasn't true. How much do you tell them? How soon? Obviously, from the very beginning, you're forming them. You respond to little questions. You talk about things that come up that, that pertain in some way, direct or indirect, the whole question of sexuality, marriage, and so on, children. But how much do you tell them? Well, firstly, it's important to understand that when, when they ask a question, you don't need to tell them everything at that first question. You know, my, my friend's experience with her kid, you know, and her, his friend that came from Illinois, and that shows. Don't conclude that he wants to know everything. He doesn't necessarily want to know everything. And what you want to give him, in fact, is just what he wants to know. What he's ready to hear. And for the most part, he'll show you that by the questions that he asks. But the point is, what you want is, you don't want your 
sex education to your kids to be the talk. I remember the talk. <laughs> Dad talked for, I don't know, it seemed like an hour and a half. <laughs> and I had absolutely no clue in the whole wide world what he was talking about. I had no idea what he was talking about. Do you have any questions? Can I go out and play now? <laughs> There's, it's, it's well said that education never proceeds by leaps. It's a gradual thing. It's a growth thing. And so it is with sex education. It's a gradual thing. Factors that need to be taken into account, obviously the, the age of the child, the maturity of the child. There are six-year-olds and there are six-year-olds. Some six-year-olds are light years ahead of another six-year-old. You have to take that into account. You also have to take into account their environment. And the environment of the world today is, frankly, sex-saturated. It's everywhere. Billboards, advertisements, TV, movies, friends, video games, everything. Everything. That has to be taken into account. Because just like we said that you as a parent, from when the child is very little, you're instilling a worldview regarding man, woman, children, marriage, sex. You're instilling that in your kids. The world's doing the same thing. And it's not the same world. And very often for the world, it's a hydrogen bomb. It blows a child apart, as opposed to a caring parent who helps him to come to an understanding of something which is not. You have to take it into account. Your kids know a lot more than you think they do. I had a parent, I was teaching an ethics class in Ohio. I took the, I took the young adult, same way I'm doing here right now. And I had a 15-year-old boy in the class. And we were talking about basic principles of morality. And I used certain things to illustrate the principles. And those things pertain to the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. Contraception, homosexuality. And mom came to me all upset. And she said, Father, why are you talking to them about that? Well, I knew their home life. And I said, because they need to know. It's not like I'm teaching the physical aspects. I'm teaching the principles that they need to know. And she said, doesn't that pertain to marriage class? And I said, listen, do you have a TV in the home? Well, yeah. Your son ever go to the movies? Yeah. Have any friends outside the parish? Yeah. Play sports? Yeah. Are they all kids from the parish? Well, no. 
knows about more than you think he does. He probably knows everything, just not from the Catholic perspective. We have to take into account the world they live in. If, if a child, this, is, like, this boy was homeschooled, but he was not in a sheltered home. She wanted him to be sheltered, but he wasn't sheltered at all, in fact. But some parents, you know, they have their kids in a public school. Maybe they don't have any choice. We're not talking about that aspect right now. But if they're in a public school, I, I have a friend, my neighbor at home, is a kindergarten teacher. She said, every year it's worse. She's a Christian, she's not a Catholic. That's serious. She said, it's amazing what the kids can do. They don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about it. You gotta take it into account. The thing is, is what you want to do is arm the child against a false understanding and, and protect the child, his innocence. Innocence is not my thing. Innocence is choosing virtue. I want it. It's so easy for a child to be taught something which is immoral. Or to fall into, out of curiosity, something which basically just sends them into a downward spiral. And they don't understand the gravity of what they're dealing with. If they haven't been taught what they're dealing with. Girls in particular can very easily be led into things that they are absolutely innocent about because all they want is affection. And what they're getting is not affection. And think about, too, if a child, let's say he's, let's say he's only in third grade, but you see that there's a certain maturity there, it's much better that he get it from you than from anybody else. And much better that he get it too soon than too late. In fact, some of the books I've read on the subject, and they come back to the same thing, but they say it in different ways. But basically what they say is, better a year too soon than an hour too late. Because of the consequences for their soul. And how far behind the eight ball they can be when all of a sudden now they understand, this is wrong. That said, of course, it's not necessary to go into to, to biological details, that's, that's, that's not what's critical. But by the time a child is in early puberty, pretty much needs to have a more or less complete picture. Not the details, the physical details, but a more or less complete picture. Who's to do the teaching? Well, obviously, or sadly, parents. But in the early years, it's probably mom. That's why that, that book, Raising Good Catholic Children, I really do recommend it to you. 
It will put you at ease and help you. The reason is mom is because she's the one that's there. She's the one that has the intimate contact in those early years. Later on, it's according to sex. Dad should deal with boys, and mom should deal with girls. When we're at a higher level, dad understands boys and men. He understands what the boy's going through. Mom understands girls. Dad doesn't. So it should be according to sex. <clears throat> there are things out there that can help you prepare to talk about these issues, but you know parents that make mistakes, they basically take those little books like Listen, Son, or Mother's Little Helper, and those things. So yeah, they're, they're okay, but they're not meant to be read by the parent's child. They're meant to help the parent have the right approach. But it's still got to be human. It's still got to be natural. So it's got to be you talking to your child. It can't be, you can't spit out a book to them. Which begs another point. I, the instruction that you give has to be very personal. Every child is different. In some children, they're very, very curious. They're precocious. It's going to move fast. In others, they're naive. They're detached from reality. You know, they might get up to 10 years old and still express no interest whatsoever. At a given point, though, you have to address the issues. Because if you get a 10-year-old, for example, he's heading onto the battlefield very soon. It might be unexpected. Something happens at school. Uh, he's at soccer practice and somebody's passing something around. Whatever. He's got to be prepared for that. He's also got to be prepared for the awakening of his body. Just come. So the tools have to be given to him, even if he's still not interested. And so if it gets to a certain point where the child doesn't know anything, you have to provoke the question. Maybe you provide an opportunity by, by something like a play like Man on the Macho. Or some, some play or some movie or some story or whatever, to, to provoke the questions. And then if that opens the door, and if he won't ask, then you ask. It's better that he does. But if he doesn't, you still have to, you have to, you have to go there, you have to deal with it. On a, on a particular level, what needs to be taught? Well, first, a general principle. Avoid, obviously, a sensual description. Avoid the material details. You don't want to provoke a curiosity that's not healthy. What is that like? And you don't want you don't want to be on occasion to sin. It's very important with what you do give them, whether it's regarding origin of babies or physical differences between man and woman, whatever, it's very important to always include. In fact, I wouldn't even say include God in the explanation. I would almost say drown the explanation in the bigger picture, in God's plan. God's plan. God's plan is beautiful. That God would work with a man and a woman to create 
a child because he wants that child in heaven with him. And he trusts that father and that mother to help him take that child to heaven. That's a beautiful thing. And you don't want to lose sight of that. The fact that God is a partner with mom and dad. You don't want to lose sight of it when you explain it to the child. You don't want to lose sight of it for yourself. Everything's there. The fact that as mom and dad, you're not by yourself. You're a partner with God. You're working with God in a sacred task. And you want to instill that in the child. When you start talking about these things, that's what makes the picture a natural one that is beautiful and not one that's embarrassing. On a particular level, obviously the big question comes up of, you know, where do the babies come from? Of course it's going to come up. But, and you have to always, you, you have to take the question, who's asking it? What is his age? And I'll, you, not that you're going to go through all this. Your mother's very intuitive. You simply, you respond to the child. You do it all the time. The teachers do it all the time as well. You try to answer the question on the child's level. You try to answer what he is asking of you. And so if a little child asks you, where do babies come from? How does a baby get inside of you? Well, don't explain the marital embrace. As a little child, you explain that God wants you because you love children. You want to help children to love God. God entrusts to you a little baby. And he plants, just like he did Our Lady, the Annunciation, he plants a little baby inside mommy. And he helps it to grow. And when the baby is strong enough, he helps it be born. And then mommy loves that child. And helps him to love her. Okay, fine. Here we are. But how is a baby born? I remember asking my mom that question, and I remember her answer. She said, God takes care of it. And I said, okay. It shows where I was. <clears throat> At a given point, maybe you can't say that. Mary Newland, in that book I was telling you, said, she says, just, you can say God takes care of it. You can say the doctor takes care of it. You can say that, that God makes a special place for the baby to come out. You don't lie. But you don't have to tell all the material details that the child's not ready for. At a given point, well, now... Your girl is approaching puberty. Her body is changing. She needs to know why. She needs to know what's going on. She needs to know how that fits in God's plan. <clears throat> Tell her. But remember, when you're telling her, 
You help her to see that big picture. God made you a girl because he wants you to be a mother someday. He's going to entrust to you souls that are very special to him. And your body is designed in such a way to protect that little tiny baby so that it can be born and be baptized. And then you will help that child. You will love him. And with God, you will raise him. So that one day you can be in heaven with God and your child. You always go back to the big picture. On the general level, when you talk about the physical differences, obviously, that's something that very quickly kids ask questions about. Mom's changing her, her, her newborn, and the three-year-old is of the opposite sex, and he notices things are different here. He's going to ask. And the important thing is, at that age, very little. God made boys and girls different. Because they're going to do different things in their lives. Daddy's a lot stronger than mommy because daddy needs to work very hard in a factory lifting heavy things. Mommy needs to work very hard. But the most important thing mommy does is hug her children. She doesn't have to be so big and strong. God makes them different. That's all. Good enough. As they get older, they need to know more. What about, what about those questions where they say, why is it, when they're getting a little bit older, so why? Why do, why is, is Johnny's body like that and mine's like this? Okay, well, we've given the general question, but now they're going to get more specific. Go to that. Okay, they're different because God wants Johnny to be a daddy and he wants you to be a mom. And they're different because those little seeds of life are stored there. And so the seeds of life for, for, for a boy who's going to be a father are different than the seeds of life for a girl. They have to be stored in different ways. And it's a great opportunity at that point. You, you, first of all, it's still a respect for the body. God's plan is very beautiful. He knows why he's, he does what he does for a reason. You should never make fun of somebody's body. Because that's the first thing boys start to make fun of. When they start to become aware of things, they're not on a level of perversion, but they'll still make fun of the physical differences. And that's something they should not do. And it's something they need to know. We never make fun of the way God made us. And also that respect implies we, we treat ourselves with respect. So that part of your body is very special. And it's never to be abused. You, you don't play around with that part of the body. Because it's special. You can see it. I, I mean, I can't as I give a conference like this, 
answer the particular question that your child is going to ask. And you can't, okay, well, we know pretty much here's the list of 650 questions they might ask. Let's go through each one. No, what you need is the principles. Just the principles. And the principles really are pretty simple. Be natural about it. Be honest about it. Answer what the child is asking, but no more. Always include the big picture. Always show great respect to yourself. Gradually give the information that they need. These, they're the principles, and they're, they're really pretty simple. So it's not this whole question of of sex education is not the, the thing to be feared that many parents think it is. Remember too that as a parent, you have the grace of state. It's like a priest. A priest, a priest has to deal with things in the confessional, for example, and that the question is asked or, or, or someone is confused, the child will be raised. It's to deal with all kinds of things. And he has the grace of state to do it. And it's God just helps him. And I, I, I don't know any priest that panics in the confessional. Because that's what he's there for. But see, it's the same thing for you. The priest is there to help a soul. You're there to help a soul. And just as the priest is given whatever graces he needs to deal with whatever he needs to deal with, and to do so in a way which is understanding and compassionate, and at the same time as clear as possible, and so on. So you will. You're given those graces. And you won't always be perfect. Sometimes you'll answer questions as best you can, and afterwards you're going to go, dang, I should have said this. Well, don't worry about it. The, the, the most important thing to remember as a parent is that God only asks you to do your best. And He'll do the best. He'll do the best. Questions? Let's be <laughs> 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 That's good. <laughs> yes, you may. Miss <laughs> Bear? Uh, when, uh, dealing with the sexual thing, as far as a religious vocation, like what age or... or no, wait, wait, wait a second. I mean, if a child has a religious vocation, actually, okay. you know, I mean, yes, they didn't know a lot. Um, I, I, I think I beg to differ on that because, okay, you maybe don't need to need the, to know all the details in an intimate way. Well, for sure, you don't. Right? But at the same time, you need to have a pretty clear picture where things are at. <laughs> Remember, as a, as a religious you're probably going to deal with more questions and difficulties than the average parent. The average parent has one or two or six or eight kids. The average religious 
they're dealing with kids at all, and they come in contact with hundreds in life. And they're going to be trusted. So, especially, especially a priest. I'd be surprised how much time is spent on these things in the seminary. A lot of time. Because it is delicate. And you don't want them to ever teach sin. At the same time, you've got to... There's a lot of things for, for the priest and the confession, the kid. I mean, children aren't always very clear themselves about what, what the situation is. And the priest, he has to ask questions because if there's a difficulty that needs to be addressed, he's got to be there to help them address it. At the same time, if there's not a difficulty, he doesn't want to teach them something which will pose a difficulty. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of time that goes into to training a confessor, for example. And so there, religious really needs to know, but I would say, too, I mean, even the sisters. Actually, I was talking to one of my sisters, who's in the convent, about, about some of these issues. And first of all, she was expressing regret that she didn't know more. And then she was expressing regret that she wasn't taught more in the convent. She's a teacher. In France. He said it would help so much. So, no, I, I think that we need to know. We need to know in an appropriate way. Well, we need to know. Sure. Yes? How do you deal with, um, like in our house, when the oldest one finds out something, they just want to tell everybody? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with them that? I think, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can have a certain temperament, and sure, I mean, you can see where that would be an issue. But I think, I mean, it's, it's important to, by the reverence with which you deal with the topic, you have to make it very clear that this is something which is, this is something which is private, this is personal. It's not something you just talk about. And sometimes you have to tell the child that. Right. Some kids just don't know where the boundaries are at. They just don't know. You don't I mean, whether it regards sixth and ninth issues or whether it regards, you know, how you act with the priest or what one. They just have no notion of boundaries. But that's part of forming your kids and educating your kids. Is to, if they're going over the line, that's out of bounds. So treat it like a boundary, not like a secret. Oh, yeah. No, you just, well, oh, come on. You, you know, maybe not on the spot, but after you say, you know what, I heard you today with, with so-and-so. You know, that's, that's not the kind of thing that you discuss with your synagogue. That's between mommy and you, right? and it's, it's important that we talk about it. It's important you understand. But that's for mommy to explain that. It's not for you to explain that. Show her the boundaries, right? It's just it's part of the equation. I mean, it's a good question. But it's something you simply respond to. But I think a large part of it, if you treat the subject with reverence, don't treat the subject with reverence. That's that's a big part. Although, you know, I understand with certain children, of course, and they just they're just real open about everything. You have to to work with them. Anything else? Can I um sure. I just want to comment and support you on um, the thing we're speaking the truth to our children. Um, because I remember as a little girl, and I was only like four or five, and my mother always said, 
married pe- only married people have children. And this yeah. was in the 60s, and our neighbor, who was a teenager, had a baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and when she had that baby, it, um, in my mind, I knew never to believe my mother. And, and you're so right when you say, we have to speak the truth. We have to just not even candy corn. There, it was, I mean, the real way to say this is that only married people should have children. Right. Mm-hmm. But some people act as if they're married when they're not. Right? And so that allows those cells of life to come into contact. And then a baby results. But that's not what God wanted. And see, you, you still even you just explained the whole thing, but in a way that a ten-year-old would not be shocked, and he would still understand. Only married people should have babies, but some people. But you're right. That principle absolutely works. Other questions? Like a sin. You know, I remember mom saying, that would be a mortal sin. And I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You never forget that. Mm-hmm. You were smart. It's, it's good to tell your child that something would be wrong, gravely wrong. But it's also very good to tell them why. Mm-hmm. They have to understand that how it fits the big picture. Well, why is that so bad? Why, why would that be? Remember, from a child's perspective, who doesn't under, if he doesn't understand the big picture, he's going to go, huh? And so you, you've got to show him the big picture. For example, we're talking about the respect for the body and that the cells of life are stored there. Okay, now, okay, that makes more sense. It's only from his level that it makes sense. But he doesn't really understand completely how far things can go if, if there's disorder in that area. But at the same time, okay, well, that's a sacred thing. Good. Keep up the good work, the hard work. Not easy being a parent. But it's not so hard. God's grace is there. God's grace is there. Just do your best. Do your best. We have a lot of good kids. That's, that are they're coming out of your families and it's it shows God's work and it shows that you're working. It's important things to do the best you can. <laughs>